Okay, welcome back. This is the Bridge Broadcast. This is episode nine. I am David Higby, the Bridge Lacrosse Executive Director. This is going to be a really fun episode. I have Coach Maddie, Coach Jack Tierney, and Coach Jason. The four of us are going to just kind of sit and talk about coaching as an art form and as a skill set, the different philosophies, the things we've learned along the way, how we've evolved as coaches, and how Bridge has evolved. Let's get going. The topic of this podcast is going to be around coaching specifically versus in individual biography. So between the four of us, the three of you all, you all have probably the most years of experience coaching and coaching with Bridge. So let's do this. Let's kind of... Is the implication there that this collectively is the lowest winning percentage in Bridge? Doesn't that, if you've coached the longest, doesn't that by default mean you probably have uh, the lowest winning percentage? That would be me. <laughs> that yeah i, I mean know, it's Jack. probably not i don't inaccurate. know I feel, I feel like i have Ooh. i've won that we had the nakai <laughs> we had the nakai paxton kevin days that's, i don't know that's, if, true. that's true there was there were some w's in there for sure but then again jason you did jv girls i i think i might be the all-time <laughs> i think i might be the all-time losingest coach in bridge i mean it it's losing a losingest coach can you give yeah. him a trophy or a t-shirt it's probably pretty close. I mean, we've had some coaches that have come in for a year and never won a game, but if we set a minimum threshold for consideration, I think Jason is probably pretty high in there. <laughs> I think I'm like close. Yeah, man. I mean, you're probably like right behind. Yeah. We had some really good teams when it was, yeah. you know, Nakai and Jeremy Paxson's Monday show. When they were in, uh, I got them in third grade. This was before you got there. Yeah. yeah. Back when, you know, we just gave kids equipment and rolled the balls out and basically just, you know, basically it was field hockey. And yeah, we, we had a lot of L's, but we had a lot of people having fun, yeah. which that's part of the thrust of bridge was to keep them coming back. That's one of the part and parcel of, of what we do, what we accomplish is, is to make it fun. And they had enough fun that they would keep coming back. And then the coaches would have fun and they kept coming back. So the consistency that we would bring to, to the program in these lives is maybe the, the most impactful thing in the early years. Wins and losses aside, it was basically, it's, it's to make it fun and occupy some time, get some physical activity, all the fun stuff socially, that uh, the teamwork. And David, you and I knew this, uh, you know, from day one is we set aside a couple of foundational leadership principles, uh, you know, the respect, responsibility, integrity, all those other fun things that we tried to impart to all of the kids just to transcend it from the lacrosse situation into a life skill. You were pretty pivotal in my coaching foundation of the verbiage, the go-to phrases that I still use today that... Um, <laughs> that have become pretty, yeah, I mean, have become pretty institutionalized right now. Between the four of us, lots of discussion is just going to be coaching as kind of an art form and a skill set. But I do think it's a good conversation to have because I think it's something that we haven't really dug into. And I think because of so much of bridge from a coaching standpoint is, Jack, what you said earlier, we're having fun and we're getting kids engaged and we want them to come back because they're having an, because they're enjoying it versus wins and losses. But from a competitive side, I also think there's a lot of interesting meat to pull off there too, because we are becoming more competitive in a lot of ways. We have kids playing at a high level. We have kids who want to play at a high level. Maybe I'll throw this out to Maddie then. I mean, Maddie, you were part of Irma teams that 
were O and whatever in the season. Oh. And at <laughs> mostly O. And at most okay, yeah, mostly. <laughs> what have you seen from a competitive standpoint and how like maybe the culture has changed among teams? It's entirely changed since I've been around uh, as a player versus coach. I mean, I don't really have a lot to add on to that because it's almost everything is different. And also, I think there's more athletes that want to go further versus one, possibly. I don't have, like, a profound answer about that. No, it's okay. It's, I mean, it's changed a ton. Have you ever had a team then that where the majority of the team is there because they want to, you know, they want to win state, they want to crush everyone in their path? No. It's always been more towards, we're here to have fun, we're here to... They like 30, 30% at most. Okay. Yeah, which is not, which is okay. That 30% is more than what you had when you were playing then. Yeah, it was, I mean, it wasn't, when I was playing, that wasn't even an option in our minds. That like, oh, we could do something with this. We were just there because we wanted something to do after school and we wanted to hang out with our friends. Yeah. Let me just uh, point out and give you a little kudos here, Maddie. Whenever I, I hear any of your players uh, from years ago through even just the latest tributes, they all, to a woman, they say that they have the utmost respect for the program, that they love their sisters on the team, that they have just the fondest memories of their high school or bridge related. And that's a credit to you guys. And you've built a foundation that it really is impactful for these young women. And that's really cool to hear. So good for you. And good for them. Well, we appreciate that. Those, that's the hope, right? Yep. Yeah. Jason, you're one of the few coaches in Bridge, maybe the only coach in Bridge that's ever crossed over between the guys' game and the girls' game. And, you know, the age differences are, are there. But what are sort of the different, uh, we'll say, tactics in coaching girls versus coaching boys from a competitive standpoint? You know, I think Jack actually really hit the nail on the head earlier is that – in maybe it's easier to speak to the commonalities than the differences. It's just the goal is always to make sure that the kids have fun, that they're safe. And Jack spoke about the consistency of this program. And I think you and me have had this conversation on a bunch of different occasions is also the stability that the program provides or the structure that this program provides for a lot of these kids. So I think that for me is really what jumps out between the boys and the girls is just those elements remain the same whether you're coaching five six boys or jv girls or k through twos it just it doesn't matter either way but you know and maddie brought up a good point is that it's also case by case every kid is a different personality and is going to react differently and is going to respond differently to different coaches and different coaching styles. And I think that's been a major blessing within the program is it's not always me that any given kid's going to respond to the most. It could be another coach that's coaching along with me, or sometimes they, as they progress through bridge, they respond to a specific coach at a specific level, but they never really lose that bond. There's just so much consistency like jack said in the bridge program that they're able to keep going back to that coach they're still able to see them even though they might be practicing with a different team now or whatever it might be so you know again i don't know that i focus so much on the differences other than obviously the rules between the two games between 
the girls and the boys. But otherwise, I think it's really the commonalities, the consistency across the program that the kids respond to and that matters the most. I want to kind of jump back a little bit. And, and Jack, we touched on it. And Jason, you touched on about kind of the foundation of Bridge. As a coach jumping into this organization, did you all come with your own sort of set of coaching philosophies or were those things that kind of developed over time? Obviously, you learn and evolve over time, but when you all first started coaching with Bridge, did you have kind of a set guidelines as a coach? You know, I don't know that I necessarily subscribe to any philosophy. I think if I've seen any change in my coaching philosophy over time, it's I'm a lot more flexible than I used to be. I think I came in fairly rigid early on. And I think some of that had to do with the fact that I had a little bit of coaching experience prior to coming to bridge, but the teams I was coaching with were a lot, there was a lot more experience in that program and everything like that. So there was just a different set of expectations for them, but coming over to this program where you have a lot of first time players and even players that have never even played a team sport before. I think that forced me to become much more flexible in my coaching style. And I think the other thing that I've become keenly aware of over time is just how much these kids both actively and passively take in everything that you do at all times. So just trying to be cognizant of the fact that whatever we're doing as coaches, they're likely going to mimic or mirror not just on the field but probably at home in the classroom and other places so I try to be more intentional in everything that I do and make sure that whatever I'm doing is something that if they were to repeat that action elsewhere that it would be the right thing for them to be doing so I think you know again maybe that doesn't exactly answer your question but is probably the two things that I subscribe to the most. What was your previous coaching experience? I actually coached with my former high school for a couple of years with that JV team for the boys. So again, just, I came in at the five, six level. So a very different age group. And again, like that group in my high school had been playing lacrosse for years and years, whereas coming in at our five, six, you know, especially back then, you know, those were more often than not first year, second year players. Like yeah. there was no K through two and, you know, we just, I don't think we had quite had the influence locally to have sticks in kids' hands earlier than that. Yeah. You came in about the time that we were still just hoping enough kids would show up for a practice or a game. You know, that's still obviously the case in a lot of ways for bridge, but I would say not at the same frequency as mm -mm. the old days. Maddie, what about you? When you first started coaching, did you have a philosophy of coaching? I think my answer is pretty similar in the sense that I came in more rigid, as Jason stated. And I also came in having experience of being a player for Bridge. That was a weird concept in terms of like, this is what I experienced. I also don't know what you guys are experiencing right now but I know what I want you to get from this. And maybe it's something that I did get as a player or something that I felt like was missing. So I knew kind of what I wanted to offer as a coach, but I definitely, like if, you, if I looked at myself five years ago as a coach versus now, there's major differences. I think one of them is I'm a lot more open and vulnerable with my players now. And when I came in, I was more like machine-like. Coming into a high school team, you, I felt like I needed to be a certain a certain type of coach instead of trusting who I am and 
allowing that to be what guides me through it, right? So I think that's a big thing is I've had to learn to like show my flaws to the girls. But something that hasn't changed is like I'm big on having intent behind what you do and putting effort in. So regardless of your situation, I expect my players to come in at their best for that day. I don't know that I've like piped out a coaching philosophy. Yeah, that's, um, that's fair. Yeah. Jack, before you answer, would you mind sharing just a background of your coaching experience before Bridge? You had some depth in coaching before Bridge. Right. In 1648, (laughs) 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 uh, basically when I was playing immediately post-collegially for Team Texas and we'd go around the country to all these uh, different tournaments, we would give a, a clinic by and large to some of the young kids in in Atlanta or Chicago or New Orleans or in Colorado. And that was always just a ton of fun. And as long as you brought a whole bunch of enthusiasm and you joked around laughing, you made the kids want to come back. And there's, and Jason, you touched on earlier and, and Maddie, it's just, if you're having fun doing something, you want to replicate that. So, my coaching philosophy and I, I, my specific coaching resume is that I started the St. Mark's program uh, in 1991. Back then, there were only three programs, three teams in all of North Texas. It mm-hmm. was uh, Je- Jesuit, Plano, and of all places, Richardson Berkner. And uh-huh. And, and I, I had two of the kids, we had given a clinic in Dallas and a couple of the kids from Richardson Berkner approached me and they said, oh, you know, we, we go to St. Mark's and this is the only place that, that we can play lacrosse. Is there any way that we can get a team started at St. Mark's? And I, I was working in the Galleria and I was off at, you know, before four o'clock, which is when they got out of school. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's a pretty cool segue. So I took the kids out of the chemistry lab and the theater guild and all this other fun things. And they, they couldn't walk and chew gum. But these three kids that I brought over from Richardson Berkner, we started the program. After a few years, I gave the, uh, the reins up to Chris Peters, uh, who's, at, who's involved in Highland Park now, because I was traveling too much and I couldn't take it to the next level. And when we gave a clinic down in, in South Dallas in 2005, and I spoke to Edie and I was, I was like, God, I, I've got some time. Let's do this. Cause I, I didn't want lacrosse just to be for spoiled white kids. And I grew up in, in garden city, New York, which is almost hundred percent white, went to an Ivy league school and played lacrosse there. And I didn't see a whole lot of opportunity for people of color. And I thought that that was unfair. And I, I wanted to give the opportunity for the greatest game on the planet. And, Boy, as long as you, as far as a philosophy is concerned, you know, you, you just want to bring some enthusiasm and have some fun because you want the kids to be looking at the clock in their last period of classes and say, come on, clock, move, man. I got to go play lacrosse. You got to have them want to be there. And, you know, and Dave, you've heard me screaming and yelling, you know, <laughs> fun, fun stuff on the sidelines. It's almost always positive yeah. and goofy. And if they can laugh at me while trying to possibly learn something, cool. So that's basically my coaching philosophy is I'll throw myself under the bus if they can learn a split dodge. 
that's definitely one thing I learned from you and it stuck around is sort of that a little of that self-deprecation, kind of the joking at your expense, but for the, you know, for some piece of information or knowledge to get out to the kids. Well, yeah, and, and that that level of enthusiasm is always good. And, and Maddie, you were around for Summer Academy and we'd kind of stolen the, the bring the juice uh, mantra from another camp that we had worked at. That's kind of been my go-to the last you know year or two with kids is like, you got to bring juice, but then that needs to carry over to the coaches as well. And the, you my, get the energy you give, right? Yeah, absolutely. So as a coach, you have to give the energy you want to receive. Yep. Yeah. Kind of along coaching philosophies and Jason, you and Maddie both said kind of starting with some rigidity. Do you have anything specific in terms of when you came in, what that rigidity looked like? I actually was thinking about this while everybody else was talking for a minute. And a lot of what you both said resonated with me. It reminded me that, a big transition or, you know, where I've gotten away from that. And Maddie, I think you're probably going to feel the same way here is just how I measure success with the kids at this point. You know, I think when I first started out, I was so lacrosse focused that, you know, I don't want to say it was necessarily all about the wins and losses, but I did really only see it through the lens of how much better did this team or did this, kid get at the game of lacrosse and that was pretty much the standard and how I went about practices and games and coaching and everything else and over time I think not that that part of it's not still important but you know let's say it was maybe an 80-20 split before between lacrosse and just development and social development and emotional development of the player. I think that's much more 50-50 at this point for me. I think you know, the idea of wins and losses is just such a very, very small component of what matters to me at this point. And I don't want to make it sound as though it, that's not still important that these kids shouldn't play to win and that's not an important element of the game. But just for me personally in the way I go about coaching these kids, I think that's the biggest one that stands out to me is just how I measure success definitely dictates how I build practices and how I treat the kids and coach and everything at this point. That was stated incredibly well, and I resonate with that. I don't have much to add except for going back to that vulnerability aspect. I really thought like if I showed a weakness, they wouldn't listen to me or something along those lines. Why I thought that, I'm not sure. I was a new coach. And throughout, you know, years of learning that you can't build a relationship that way. That's something that I was a big turning point in my coaching journey mm-hmm. in terms of like, I need to show, and Jack, you mentioned it also like self-deprecation. I need to show that I'm also a human and I will make mistakes, but I'm going to give everything I have and then hopefully receive that from the players as well. One thing that the three of you all, and really every bridge coach, and you know, any coach that's come through our ranks, they all care about our kids, right? There is some genuine or authentic purpose for wanting to be a part of organization. And then that carries over into the individual relationships. Every bridge coach has done a really good job of, and they may not get to know every one of their players at a really great level, but you know, every coach has built or is developing some individual relationship with a kid that's just based out of caring and compassion. Jack, this question's for you. The discussion we've always had within Bridge is this sort of binary argument between a program that can have fun and also be competitive and actually look for wins on the field. When we had that team, you know, that team at St. Phillips, 
early on with like really highly competitive kids. How did you balance that? How did you have that discussion between we want kids to have fun and enjoy it, but we also have these kids who are really, really talented future division one athletes. Was there any internal monologue on, on that balance? Well, it's not an easy answer because you had a, a lot of kids, especially just learning that you wanted them to come back to some of the, the, the decisions were about playing time mm -hmm. and you had like, you know, Nakai, you, you wanted on the field all the time, but yeah. you'd have to balance all of that stuff. And I caught a little bit of grief from parents that, you know, why isn't my kid on the field? Because we want to give everybody a shot to try and be better. And there's a fairness aspect of it. There's a competitive aspect of it. I think we did a pretty good job trying to get people into impactful roles versus just fillers. Mm -hmm. And, but again, you, you want to keep the kids because the, the Nakais of the world started somewhere too. And so they had to have their learning curve just as some of the newer players had to have their learning curve. So it, it's not necessarily uh, an easy answer to that question, but yeah, for sure. I think that by and large, if you just keep the kids engaged and having fun and keep coming back, they want to, like you guys touched on, it's the relationships that you build through it and you want to keep them coming back. And you have, you know, the knucklehead factor, then you have the real competitive athlete factor. I mean, Nakai Montgomery, a perfect example of, of the hyper-competitive thing versus like a James, you know, who was, I, I always asked James, who was, was just a darling little kid who's not so little anymore. What's the color of the sky in your world today? Yeah. You know, because you, you just have this whole spectrum of kids that you'd have to, you know, juggle their emotions and their, their level of engagement, especially at the younger age. I wish that there was a, a more succinct answer to that question, but you, you had to really touch everybody and right. keep everybody engaged. And, and that includes the parents too. It's a discussion we've had a lot within Bridge because again, like I said earlier, we're kind of past this point where we're just worried about kids showing up. So how do we kind of move in a direction that, okay, we can start to emphasize those things that kind of fit within the bucket of competition. Maddie, as the, as the lone varsity coach in here, obviously as a varsity, any varsity level program, being competitive, wanting to win games is gonna be a, a much higher part of the culture of the team versus five, six boys, and three, four girls. How do you kind of balance wanting to be a more competitive program and then also just making sure girls get play time and making sure they're having fun and enjoying the experience of being on a varsity team? Well, I think first of all, that's something that we had to develop. Wanting to win wasn't always something that has been stated within our team. At points, it's even been, we're expecting to lose. So that was a huge milestone in terms of like, yeah. hey, the whole point of this is, of playing any game really is the point is to win, right? Uh, that's the end ultimate goal. If you right. don't win, that's not a, that's okay, right? But admitting that you do want to win was a huge thing. So that, first of all, we had to get to that point of like hey we do want to win and then having that mindset going into a game changes changes the game completely so i'd say first of all we had to get to that point yeah. before it even became a turn like a balancing act of like hey let's make sure everyone gets what they've worked for and also let's win right or try to win right. um yeah. i'm personally a firm believer if 
you've given the time and effort, then you're going to get more play time, regardless of actual skill. And I've experienced it to where it was one player could have been the determining factor in the outcome of the game. But if that player didn't communicate that they were missing practice or that player just isn't giving everything that they do have, then I guess that's, you know, coach's personal preference for me. I don't bend for that. So if you haven't put in the effort, you're not going to get the play time. Yeah. Yeah, So that's my way of balancing it. It's just like you get what you work for. And then if everyone has worked and given the same amount, then we just rotate based off off of time. You know, Jason, you mentioned not wanting to make necessarily the, the comparison between the guys and the girls game. That is one thing for me, you know, overseeing all the teams that stood out was when we started the varsity boys team, everyone immediately knew that the purpose of, the, of having a varsity boys team was to win games, right? That the level of competition and what we wanted expected from the boys was a lot higher. Whereas Maddie, you're kind of saying that that never really existed right off the bat, that that was something that had to be developed and cultivated over time. Right. And then we've, I've discussed it with the girls. It's a matter of if you want to win and you don't get it, it hurts more. Right. Um, right. But it's a vulnerability we, we, taking risks. Right. But we've, we've worked enough towards that's okay. And it's okay to be upset sometimes. That's life, right? So I, I am pretty proud of them for getting past that. That was, that was a tough one. That was hard. Because yeah. when, I, when I came in initially, I was like, so what are we doing? Like, why we're, you're here and we're playing the game, but you aren't excited. And it was just like a confusing concept. But then when I think back to when I was a player for Bridge, we expected to lose because we always did, right? Right. But that all being said, we still had a ton of fun, which is interesting. I still haven't fully (sighs) understood that. We always had a great time. (laughs) If this organization's success was measured on wins and losses, I mean, we would have folded years ago, right? I mean, like Jason said, you know, at the beginning of this thing, this is, you know, between the four of us, we're probably somewhere in the, you know, single digit percentage win column. But we've also continued to add kids and, you know, add teams and add engagement. So if we were judged based on fun, we'd be number one. <laughs> we would. Yeah, we're crushing. We're crushing it. Here's a, a, something to piggyback on that. If you judge our program on wins and losses, yeah, maybe maybe we're a little subpar. But I went into a Kroger the other day. And do you guys, I, Jason, I, think, I, I don't think that you guys knew like Stan and Wes were you were you here then? I know David. You you know them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I wasn't here, but they were. They've still come around the program just yeah. enough that I know who they are. But it's for for me anyway. I saw their mom in the bakery department, whatever, at a Kroger, and she like she teared up because she saw me and Wes was, was back from school. It was on a football scholarship of all things to Occidental Mm -hmm. college in LA. And he was working there and she called him from the back and his face lit up. It's that type of thing that it's the relationships, Maddie, I think you touched on it too. It's the relationships going forward. I, I always heard that from Bobby Knight and, Mike Krzyzewski, and I, to this day, have a real close relationship with uh, Richie Moran, my college coach. It's that type of thing that I think we score real high marks on. I agree. I, you know, and even the podcast I did with Carla and Chantal, who are alumni, you can tell the, the level of engagement they have with this organization and the people that they were close to. 
in the discussions that we had. And yeah, I, I totally agree. That's that's really great that you ran into to Wes. Yeah. That must have been pretty recently then. <laughs> yeah, well, we were wearing face masks. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. So really incredibly recently. So, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, you were about to say something. No, I just wanted to hijack it for a minute and take it back to something that Jack mentioned and pose this question, not just to Maddie and Jack, but to you as well. And I'll seek my answer in here at the start is I was just curious from all three of you what as far as just some of those things that might to a parent or a player or people who just haven't coached before some things that make coaching maybe a little bit more trickier just people don't realize is substitutions just making sure that everybody gets on the field gets their opportunity to play and making sure that that comes out reasonably balanced and that everybody not only gets on the field but gets to try all the different positions while again trying to balance potentially winning a game or whatnot so again like just running substitutions as a coach I think is a sneaky difficult thing that you know not every coach out there is good at and so I was just wondering if any of you have anything like that where you've been you've noticed like certain coaches really excel or like you know like we said you've you've changed over time it's gotten better easier whatever it might be yeah so I don't know why substitutions stick out to me because that it's so hard to manage (laughs) watching a game looking for things to improve on the field and also like it's a puzzle it's consistently a puzzle you get someone injured you only have two middies to fit like it's just like stress stressful anywho um <laughs> something that I've picked up and I picked it up from my college coach actually is like subbing in groups versus subbing individually and it's not something I was always able to do with bridge in terms of amount of players at, amount of subs that I did have something that I've picked up in in that sense is you have co-coaches for a reason so <laughs> there's that Um, And then also, I do a lot of on-field swaps. So I have my MIDI swap low often. Yeah. Because that gives them that break. And um, restate your question. I already forgot what you asked. I was saying, like, probably I'm not putting it in a way that it's easy to answer. But, you know, as anybody outside looking in, like somebody who hasn't coached before, what are some of those skills that people maybe take for granted? I guess my generalized answer is that people they think of sport and a coach role has so many roles within just coaching the actual sport. So just acknowledging that there's a time that coaches do in terms of building relationships, like Jack said, teaching skill and strategy, things along those lines. Right. Um, however, I think my main thing with that or personally what I've experienced is that I'm never going to do a perfect job. I'm always going to leave and be like, Oh, I could have done that better. Oh, I should have spent more time with so-and-so I should have had more positive reinforcement, whatever. I think that's the main thing in terms of, I don't know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) If I can, if I can throw something in here, one of the most problematic aspects of uh, being a youth coach over the past 20 years to 30 years is the advent of helicopter parents. And knowledge is dangerous sometimes. And you get to see in the early years of Bridge, the parents didn't know the rules, let alone what the skill sets were involved. And they just wanted their kids to have fun. 
as an aftercare program. Basically, we were babysitters that but the kids were having fun learning a different thing and having relationships and all the positive aspects of, of playing a, a team sport. As the kids got better and as the parents got more knowledgeable, they became more vocal. You see it and hear it time and again these days, unfortunately. It's kind of tragic that a lot of really good coaches and a lot of really good intentions are spoiled because the parents are just shone on these coaches getting playing time. And what are you doing with my kid? And my kid's going to get a Division One scholarship. Don't you know that? Yeah. And, you know, all, all that other BS that's going on, it's just like, no, 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 no. First things first, let's have fun. Let's be positive. The way to deal with parents, uh, Jason, I think is one of the, the, the components of your question is to, is to basically, first and foremost, listen, smile, and kill them with kindness. And, you know, if the kid's getting some playing time and they're getting better, that's great. If they miss practice or they're late to practice or games, that's in your quiver to come back at these, at these people because it's like, look, it's, it's very often it's a meritocracy. And, you know, if, if you don't show, you don't go. And it, it's fortunately for us and for me anyway, I didn't have to deal with a lot of the, the bad parents because they didn't know anything yet. So, you know, the, the kids want to play. And we, I thought we did a pretty fair job of, of being uh, judicious with playing time. And I think that, you know, by and large, the kids got a, a blast out of it. It's tougher the farther up the food chain you go. Like, Maddie, you probably have a different set of, of obstacles than, say, you know, the three, four St. Phillips kids did. Um, right. You know, so it's a different, it's, a, it's apples and oranges at that point. But the parents have become really problematic. So I, kudos to you guys for sticking it out. And kudos to all the other coaches that Bridge has under their umbrella because, boy, you guys do a great, great job of shepherding all of these kids, male and female. And, boy, to, to, to navigate some of the waters these days, it's, it's brutal. I was going to say, I, I have some yeah. that bring me smoothies. So <laughs> I've not yeah, experienced we, any of that. We do have the vast majority of our parents who really do trust our coaches and trust the organization. And, you know, that's not necessarily anything that I've done intentionally, but it is certainly a byproduct of being part of this organization that parents come in and do have a decent amount of faith in what we do and our decisions on the field. We don't really have helicopter parents, certainly not at the level I've heard from, you know, my friends who've coached other programs where parents might be more involved or more engaged. We, we have parents who ask questions, but they're incredibly respectful. They're not demanding playing time. They might be curious, but, it, you know, we're not getting yelled at in the parking lot. Yeah, I think we've been pretty lucky. I don't know. Maddie, Jason, I don't think really well, we've had. Back to Maddie's point. Maddie, I, I thought about it for a second, and I get where you're going with what you were saying because I'm glad I you have did, a sim- I didn't. No, I get it because <laughs> I, I have a similar concern and I'll share a story from this past season is that I don't ever want parents to get the impression from my on-field coaching demeanor that I don't care and that I don't take their kids' well-being, you know, just like we said, their safety, them having a good time seriously. And I think sometimes my, my on-field coaching demeanor can betray that a little bit. A really good example of that is this past season when 
I had the K through twos. We had our first boys game and the parents and by all indications, the players were having an absolute blast out on the field. And we were struggling a little bit on the field from just strictly a lacrosse standpoint, doing some things on the field that weren't exactly the, I guess what some people would term the right way to play it lacrosse. Was it was yeah, chaos. it was a little bit chaotic. So, you know, like I'm hyper concerned in the moment and yet everything around me indicates that everything's going fine and all that. So I think that's, you know, again, Maddie, I think that's a really difficult point to convey that you were trying to make, but just that idea of just like how much a coach actually cares and that, you know, that's something that really, that game was over. And again, like parents were happy, kids were happy, everything was good. And I'm still very much coming down from the yeah. game and still like very much concerned about, Oh, are, were people worried about their kids safety? Did they feel like the kids learned we've been coaching them well enough that they understand the game of lacrosse, all these different things that like clearly nobody else was really all that concerned about it, but I was. And again, like I was, I don't know that that always comes across to parents the way that we would hope or that, you know, just over the course of a practice or a game or whatever, they realize just how much we do care yeah. all the time. I think the coaches who come to bridge, we already kind of know cloth that they're cut from. By the time they reach out and sit down with me, they're already going to be in. If you're willing to put in time and do the research on the organization, I kind of know the type of coach you're going to be. And you're not going to be the hyper type, type, type A coach who's going to you know, never play the kids who aren't as strong athletically to run the best kid up and down the field for the full 60 minutes or whatever. And we just haven't had those experiences. So I think a lot of it is there is a filter process with the coaches who come to us. And if they're willing to, you know, get to step two of reaching out or calling me, by the time we get to step three and four, we're pretty solid that they're going to make a good bridge coach. Jack, I'd love to hear you talk about that since you've been with the program such a long time. And it really started with you is like your thoughts or theory on why that's the case with coaches basically self-selecting themselves for bridge and if there was when you started the program if there was any intentionality behind that or if that's just been a fortunate development that really hasn't had any intentionality behind it well I, I, as far as i'm concerned when i first started this thing with with Edie, it, basically we just we were just looking for traction i wasn't really looking for other coaches or at that point because it was just me and when david came on and uh, we had a couple of, you know, guest coaches uh, along the way and then a couple of others were still just trying to get the bodies out there. What's really impressive to me over the past maybe, I don't know, five or six years especially, you read everything that, you know, the millennials get a bad rap for being narcissistic and, and all, always just thinking about themselves. I just point out to the coaches, uh, to, to anybody who will listen, about our coaches up and down the women's game and the, the boys game as selfless, just good intention people. And it just, it impresses me at every turn. And I, I think that a lot of it, uh, David, you have a lot to do with this, but it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy when you, when you have positivity and kids having fun. And, and not only does it grow from the kid's side, 
but it also grows from the coach's side and it's and it's really impressive and kudos to everybody involved here about that it didn't it wasn't always like that because we we didn't have traction initially i mm-hmm. was just i was you know I, I was one of those pacific northwest jam and salmon <laughs> swimming upstream man hoping to avoid the bear mount but eventually eventually it happened because People were, you know, Edie's the Pied Piper, and it's a, it's, she's a classic example of if, if you build it, they will come. And sure, it did. We're going to have to add an explicit symbol to this podcast because of you, Jack. <laughs> but I'm going to have to find a beep button on that. Jack, what's your coaching philosophy on swear words and when to deploy them? <laughs> yeah, because I, I'm usually pretty good at that. My last statement notwithstanding. But, but at the <laughs> end of the adults. day, I'm, I'm usually pretty good about that because, you, you know, obviously with younger kids, when we first started out, it was a third and fourth and fifth and sixth grade boys teams. And you, you want to lead by example. If you start throwing around F-bombs or something like that, that's sure a sign that you're not going to be around for a long time. Yeah. But that's part of the, the leadership aspect and part of the, you know, the life lessons is you, you don't need to throw around swear words you don't and especially when it's on the field and it's directed at one of your teammates no jack you kind of mentioned this uh, this is a question for all three of you but you mentioned different coaches that you've looked up to or you've pulled stuff from you know so much of the bridge vernacular and verbiage comes from you jack whether you like it or not or whether you think think so or not who are coaches that you guys have kind of pulled stuff from over the years I think I've learned a lot of what I didn't grow from as a player. Yeah. So like there's things that kind of are coaching norms that help like positive motivation, building relationships. But there's also things that I experienced where I was like either one, that's not cool. Right. Or like two, that did nothing for our team. So I think I've more learned from things that I didn't get from my coaches and try to give that. Yeah in terms of like positive uh, fairness and fairness is a big one. And the other one is more like consistency. With I think that's a, that's a really good, no, I think that's a good answer. For starters, definitely my varsity coach in high school, Rich Martin, he heavily influenced my coaching style and early on just the way that I went about things again, especially early on, here at Bridge, I think a lot of it has been not necessarily any one coach, but just taking in a lot of what I've seen outside of Bridge and seen be successful. You know, I think there's elements of what, you know, I'll, I'll still I'll steal from two people at the NFL level that are just about polar opposite, but extremely successful is, you know, you have Belichick with the Patriots and you have Pete Carroll with the Seahawks and, you know, from a personality and an execution standpoint and everything couldn't be more different, but I think both of them have elements that of their coaching style that are worth borrowing from. So, you know, just occasionally listening to them speak in their coaching philosophy. I know I've borrowed from there, but I think the other place that I tap into a lot, or at least I've been especially fortunate is I've borrowed a lot from the various coaches that I've worked with. Yeah. Over the years, you know, I'll give two people a particular shout out because they were there at the beginning and wrote it out those early seasons with me was Brian Koza and Tom Hay. You know, both of them 
really had an influence on me and the right way to go about coaching those teams and our players. And I was always fascinated to see that the way that they connected with kids that maybe I wasn't connecting with on the same level. And I'm smart enough to know that I'm not going to be able to connect with every kid like they did. But, you know, there were some things that they, you know, they were just better at it than I was. And I was like, you know what, I don't have too much pride to think that I'm too good for that or whatever. Like I'm, I'm straight up going to steal that because it's clearly working and they're doing something right. Mm-hmm. And I want to be more like them. So I guess I just try to keep an open mind and understand that good ideas and good coaching comes from all sorts of different places, you know, to give somebody more recent credit, Nick, who's still in high school and helped out with the K through twos, like, you know, they definitely connected with him this season. They really, the K through twos really appreciated having somebody that they could look up to, but you know, they didn't see as necessarily like this adult in a room like they did me. Like they actually saw Nick more as like a friend and yeah. somebody that they could hang out with and connect with. So, you know, that's Nick really brought me back down to earth and helped me connect with the kids. So, you know, there's yeah, Coach Nick. Naples for you. Yeah. Shout out to Coach Nick. Yeah. Yeah. Jack, what about you? Well, I, you know, I'm, going to be digging up some some stuff that uh, probably outdates all of you guys but I, I've always admired philosophies of coaching uh, like John Wooden yeah and Krzyzewski Jason I, I, I for the life of me as a Jets fan I can't bring Belichick in <laughs> that'll, 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 that'll make me throw up but you have to admire his philosophy and 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 obviously his track record but I always like to just to to bring bits and pieces of different coaches that I've uh, been involved with and some of the overarching things, especially when you're, when you're dealing with kids that are just starting out, which is what we did uh, in the early years, obviously the overarching positivity and the enthusiasm, you have to bring that and be consistent every single day because a lot of the hurdles that these kids face is a lack of consistency either at home and school or whatnot, and especially when 99% of their involvement involves people that don't look like me. And as long as I'm consistent and I keep showing up and I'm enthusiastic about it, and I give them a big hug and a slap on the head and a nicely one, I, I get a lot out of that too. It's a reciprocal thing when, when you give something to young kids and you see their enthusiasm, it's contagious. And I hate to use that word these days, but that's a good contagious. And, yeah. and that's, that's the, the, the positivity is really the thing that, that you got to lead with your chin. Do you all spend time becoming a better coach? And, how do you, and if so, how do you do that? Matt, you're up first. <laughs> Take this one. I feel like I keep going up first. I definitely have a lot to learn still. And I, every time after practice or a game or even a Zoom call, these days I find myself reflecting right on like I said earlier did I did I do enough did I give enough could I have handled something differently I don't do as much research as I should in fact I like I was thinking about this I read your email about how we're going to talk about coaching and I was like most of my coaching style just came from me just kind of going with the flow Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that that's a good thing but that's just like what my tactic has been I don't do as much research as I should that's for sure and I always find things that I could do better 
but I think kind of the overall theme we've been talking about is like as a bridge coach we're not 100% only focused on lacrosse and we're really focused on youth development and so in that sense I have a lot of knowledge. There's no required reading for becoming a bridge coach at the end of the day but I think as the four of us having the most experience within bridge as a coach it's interesting to see how you guys have how we've all sort of evolved and developed and where we pull resources in. Right. And then also just an overall theory of mine and many people's is that I can do as much research. I can read everything there is about coaching and it could not impact my coaching for that season because it depends on your team and your players. Yeah. And you have to adapt almost maybe every day or maybe every season or whatever it is, but it's never, it's never going to look exactly the same. There's not a perfect, a perfect science to it. It's a lot of adapting. Agreed. Agreed. Well put. Yeah. The, I, this is a topic I've wanted to dive into with bridge coaches for a while now because I don't think we talk a lot about coaching as an art form or a skill set. I think a lot of it is just because, like I said, we're kind of amateur coaches in a lot of ways or volunteer coaches. We don't always get a chance to hit coaching as a, as a particular topic. So, Maddie, Jason, Coach Jack, I appreciate you guys doing this. Thanks for having us there, big fella. And uh, good luck this this uh, coming year. And please, everybody, just be safe and healthy. And, uh, you know, let's, let's get at it in the fall.